You are Locked On Heat, your daily Miami Heat podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, Heat Nation. You're listening to Locked On Heat, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Thank you for subscribing on Apple and Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Himalaya. My name is David Ramil. Today's show is brought to you by Built Bar, the best tasting protein bar I've ever had. And there's no question about that. But there are lots of questions about the Miami Heat franchise over the course of 30 years. They've been involved in some major what-if scenarios. I've tried to answer them over the last couple of weeks. Everything from Hakeem Olajuwon to Tracy McGrady to Alonzo Mourning to Chris Bosh. What if a player chooses a different team? What if a player makes a different decision? One that could impact the NBA and the Miami Heat franchise. And of course, no decision makes more of an impact than one that took place on July 8th, 2010. Um, and this fall, I'm going to take my talents to South Beach and um, join the Miami Heat. Of course, those words said by LeBron James when he's announcing his decision to join the Miami Heat. And of course, from that point forward, changing the course of the franchise. But what if LeBron doesn't come to Miami in 2010? Now, we all take it as a foregone conclusion. Of course, now it all seems like, of course, LeBron was going to pick Miami in 2010. He was going to join his friend Dwayne Wade in Miami. Uh, Chris Bosh was convinced to come play there as well. They had the kind of salary cap space needed to assemble the big three. We've all gotten so comfortable with the idea of the big three that we forget how tenuous it actually was. In 2010, teams have been clearing salary cap space around the league in an attempt to not just re-sign LeBron James or to sign a Dwayne Wade or Chris Bosh, but to get other big-name free agents. There were so many of them that were available that summer. It was the biggest free agency period in NBA history. And, of course, you had six suitors vying for LeBron's talents. You had, of course, Miami. You also had Cleveland, a team that he could have just as easily resigned with. Not only did he have the ties to his hometown, not only did he wind up going back to the Cavaliers, unfortunately, in 2014, you assume that they would have been able to retool that roster around LeBron and get back to the NBA Finals at some point. They had reached the Finals just a couple years earlier in 2010, struggled in the playoffs, and they had a pretty weak roster. But, of course, they could have just found a way to get back to the NBA Finals around LeBron when you have his singular talents. It doesn't take a whole heck of a lot. You had teams like the New York Knicks clearing cap space. You had the New Jersey Nets who had been making pitches to LeBron. And I think a big suitor, one that we always kind of discount in 2010 was the Chicago Bulls who really believed that they were this close to signing LeBron James. The big hitch there was, of course, Dwayne Wade's connection to Chicago. Not only did he wind up signing there in 2016, but he was very interested in joining that team in 2010. He takes a second meeting to meet with the Bulls. They pitch him. And, of course, the legacy there is to be able to establish a championship attitude in Chicago to rebuild what had taken years to, to accomplish, you know, obviously Michael Jordan retires in 1998 and they've been rebuilding ever since, but they have a good young player in Derrick Rose. They have some other quality veterans like Lou Dang and Joachim Noah. And they consider themselves not just a playoff team, but a team on the cusp of greatness. And they did wind up challenging Miami during the four years of the Big Three, all, you know, mostly for their physical um, you know, presence on the court and the way that they played, their style of play. They did have a great defensive tenacity, etc. But to add LeBron James there, to get Dwayne Wade there, that probably would have made that team a championship contender. And Dwayne Wade has said in the years since that Chicago was a top 
both he and LeBron's list that he was very, very close to signing there. If he choose, if he chooses to sign with Chicago in 2010, well, they probably go on to win a championship. Does Chris join that team? No, they don't have the salary cap space for it. They had other front court players there. They didn't really need Chris Bosch's talents the same way that Miami did. Would he have joined the Heat? I don't see that either. So you're looking at a retooled roster then. And then in Miami, well, who knows what you have left? You have to completely tear down that roster. You have to rebuild from scratch. You don't have anything. You have Michael Beasley. I guess, you, you know, you have to kind of build around him. Everybody else was a free agent for the most part, except for Mario Chalmers. Uh, they didn't really have much of a team other than that. And so they would have been one of the worst teams in the league for sure in 2010. For Chicago, they would have been a championship contender almost immediately. I think they probably would have been able to at least get to the NBA Finals. And, and who knows if they would have been able to knock off the Dallas Mavericks in 2011. But that was an interesting option there. Of course, the Knicks were also a very interesting option. They, had, they put on a full-scale pitch to LeBron, getting major celebrities from around the country and, and of course, based in New York to pitch him. Everybody from uh, James Gandolfini to Woody Allen to Jerry Seinfeld and, and Spike Lee, all of them making a pitch for him to come to New York to join the Mecca, to be a part of Madison Square Garden, the vibe there and, and one of the most unique environments to play basketball and to bring back a championship to the New York Knicks. They wind up, of course, signing Amari Stoudemire. Um, they uh, they wound up adding Carmelo Anthony a few years later. They also uh, signed Tyson Chandler after he won a championship in 2011 with the Dallas Mavericks. But uh, that was a very interesting option there. The New Jersey Nets were also an option. Uh, the Los Angeles Clippers, I had totally forgotten that the Clippers were positioning themselves to acquire LeBron there. And, and you know, it makes sense. Now, in hindsight, you can say that Los Angeles was a, a, a great destination for LeBron because he wound up signing with the, the, the Lakers uh, seven years later. Now, the appeal of the New York Knicks was his ability to build his empire, to build his brand, and to further it even more. So that was as much a viable option, I think, as Chicago. If I had to rank them, I'd say that Miami was the top of the list, Chicago second, and New York was a third, at least for LeBron. I don't know that Dwayne was necessarily interested. If he was going to leave Miami for a less comfortable situation where he didn't know Tom Thibodeau, where he didn't know those other players on that roster, where he couldn't establish himself the way he had in Miami, I don't know that New York was that same option. I think it was for Chris. Maybe they would have re-signed, they would have tried to sign Chris Bosh to pair with LeBron. Although we also heard that Chris Bosh was open to joining LeBron in Cleveland in 2010. So it's a, uh, it's such an interesting scenario there. And I think when you're looking at, at this situation, one, the bottom line is that Miami would have been a very, very bad team in 2010 if LeBron signs elsewhere. That is the ultimate takeaway from all of this. Dwayne leaves. You don't have any of that. You don't have the, the success of the Big Three era. You don't have Dwayne Wade re-signing here. This is in 2014. This is a completely different scenario. This is Dwayne having won a championship already, not having the same kind of connection to South Florida that he wound up developing over the course of his 17-year career. But he could have just as easily walked off there and said, you know what, I'm at the peak of my powers. I am a top-five player in the NBA. I want to go back to my hometown of Chicago and bring back a championship there. So the Heat are completely destroyed from a roster perspective. They've got nothing on that roster, no talent there. As good as Mario Chalmers and Michael Beasley are, uh, they're not enough to build around. And so 
Pat Riley in the front office have to immediately go and see if they can lure somebody else. Maybe they're able to attract Chris Bosh. I don't see it. For Chris to leave Toronto, a team that couldn't make the playoffs with him as its focal point, to join Miami, I don't know what the appeal is there. I don't know that Miami is going to be able to lure any kind of big name free agent, either Carlos Boozer or Joe Johnson or any other the big names that were there in free agency in 2010. Now, if LeBron leaves Cleveland and joins the New York Knicks, and that's a completely different scenario there where maybe you have Dwayne going to Chicago. Maybe, I think the more interesting question is, is does he consider Miami then if LeBron says, you know, I'm going to go play in New York because it's more important for me to build my brand out, uh, after and outside of basketball. I'm going to go and join the Knicks regardless of my goal of winning a championship. Maybe they'll get there. Maybe they won't. We've seen from LeBron, he can carry bad teams to the finals. It's easier to carry a good team, and it's much easier to win a championship if you're surrounded by a good supporting cast. Uh, but at the same time, he could at the very least have gone past the Eastern Conference and been able to carry the Knicks into a finals. Who knows if he's able to win a championship there. But that that is such an interesting question there, whether or not LeBron stays uh, in Cleveland, whether or not he joins the Knicks or Chicago. I, I think those were the probably the most realistic options for him. Um, and I think the, the Cavaliers probably were fourth in that r- ranking because you know, they just had such a bad team. They just didn't really have much there. The connection to the hometown, you know, for him wasn't as great at that point. Again, I, I think it was a different point in their career. He was at a point where he needed to win a championship. Dwayne had already at least accomplished that. And once you get into that position where you could say, I'm a one-time NBA champion, then that changes your decision-making process. It's not just about money or it could be more about money. It's not just about, uh, you know, quality of life. There are so many different things that kind of fall into place there. And so it was just a a fascinating what-if scenario. But I'll talk about what happens in 2011. What if, after LeBron chooses to join the Miami Heat, what if they're actually able to win a championship against the Dallas Mavericks in 2011? I'll talk about that next. You're listening to Locked on Heat. So it's time for me to talk about Built Bar, the best-tasting protein bar I've ever had. All the products that we endorse as a network, well, let's say I don't always use all of them, but I did try Built Bar a few to- uh, for the first time a few weeks ago, and I was absolutely blown away. They've become so convenient, such a part of my wife and I and our family in general. Just They're such an easy-to-go snack. You can just pick it up. It tides you over. It fills you up. So many different t- flavors to choose from. And more importantly, not only are they taste great, but they're good for you too. And so you have 21 different flavors to choose from and you can pick one that is easiest for you. You can build a box of different flavors if you're curious about other of the flavors there and you want to try something different, you want to try something new. And best of all, if you go now to builtbar.com and you use the promo code locked on, you'll get $10 off your first order. That's great. You want to try something? You don't want to spend too much money? Well, this is the best opportunity for you to get a snack that's good for you and tastes great. You go to builtbar.com, use the promo code locked on, get $10 off your first order. A great tasting protein bar that's good for you too. LeBron chooses to stay in Miami or join the Miami Heat in 2010. Of course, there's some struggles there that first season of the Big Three. They go 9-8. and eight. What if Pat Riley had stepped in? Well, I addressed that in last yesterday's episode, but things progressed the way they actually did in reality. And, of course, LeBron, Dwayne, Chris Bosh, all of them play at an exceptional level that first year of the Big Three era and wind up carrying the Heat all the way to the NBA Finals where they meet the Dallas Mavericks. 
Well, for LeBron, it was a less than ideal six-game series there. He had some good games there. Uh, Miami winds up winning the first game. They wind up slipping in the second game. And in the third game, they wind up coming back there. But uh, the Mavericks wind up winning the next three games, mostly because, well, LeBron realistically struggles. He shoots um, you know, somewhere around 50% for most of the series, barely gets to the free throw line at all. Uh, less than 18 points per game during the six-game series. Uh, that was... Well, I think for Heat fans, so many of uh, of you remember him struggling. You know, the I think the J.J. Barea defense was probably somewhat exaggerated just because there were some key plays there where it, it just threw LeBron off. Like, he was, he was hamstrung in a way that we never saw over the next three years of his tenure in Miami. With J.J. Uh, Barrera on him, uh, you know, one, he was, I think, strong enough to at least challenge LeBron a little bit. But most importantly, LeBron was not able to use his physicality, something that's such a major component for him, where he could just be able to blow by, by somebody or, or, you know, be a little bit more physical and use his strength to get by. Barrea, a quality flopper. Uh, when I rewatched the 2011 NBA Finals and I, I saw what Barea was able to do to limit LeBron, uh, that was a big part of it. He was just he was able to draw the foul on LeBron, and so LeBron didn't really have an answer. He didn't know how to respond, and that's probably more of a failing than, on LeBron than anybody else. But you could have said that maybe Spolstra, in game situations, maybe he might have been able to say, you know what, this is it's important for you to do something a little different. Now, I think the, the overall takeaway from the 2011 finals and LeBron's performances is that he was just very passive. Um, he wasn't quite sure about his role on the team. And I think that was a big part of it is that juggling ball handling duties with either Mario Chalmers or Dwayne Wade. And of course uh, with LeBron himself wanting to handle the ball most of the time and create most of the offense for everybody else. He just didn't seem ever quite comfortable in his role. He wasn't quite sure if he wanted to be the primary ball handler or the secondary ball handler. And when he was forced into a secondary or tertiary role, he just kind of withdrew a little bit. I don't know if it's an emotional thing. I don't know if it just feels the need um, to, to control the offense in one way or another. But it was a, a very strange scenario to see, kind of rewatch that and go, this is a much more passive version of LeBron that I'm, I'm used to feel, to seeing. You know, obviously I still remembered how bad he had been in the 2011 finals, but it just was strange to kind of see him shrink away from the moment there. Let's erase all that. I know that's a, a tough thing for, for a lot of fans to do. It's tough for me to do because, of course, you just remember him struggling so much in that series. But let's assume that somehow he winds up playing to his potential. He winds up understanding his role there. He doesn't give Berea the opportunity to plan himself, to draw a foul. He's able to make the pass. He doesn't look to do too much. He's able to focus on defense. And instead of losing to the Mavericks in six games, they wind up beating the Dallas Mavericks in 2011. How does that change LeBron and the Heat. Well, I think for LeBron, uh, then he kind of just it, he understands what it takes to become a leader a little bit sooner. Maybe he's also willing to kind of change his style because the problem was, as I pointed out, that he just didn't know how to play alongside Dwayne, and then he wound up taking over the team in 2011-12, and that's basically been who he has been since then. Like he is the focal point of every team that he plays on, perhaps rightfully so. It takes a certain mentality to play alongside LeBron James. He has to be not just an alpha personality, but he has to be the focal point of everything that happens on that team. And as much as he needs help, it is rather just help. He is the lead option first, second, and foremost. 
and everybody else kind of just has to figure out their role one way or another. Maybe maybe it works out a little differently. Maybe he's able to kind of you know take a back seat a little bit, understand, change, evolve a little bit, uh, rather than just be a dominant player who kind of controls the tempo and everything else. Maybe he he learns to kind of mold his his talents a little bit more to play alongside guys like Dwayne and Chris. For the Heat, at the very least. The next year, then it changes everything. When I when I rewatched the 2011 finals and, and saw that roster, and then after talking to Shane Battier about his decision to come to Miami, it became obvious that there was a need to build a much more of a complete supporting cast. Like LeBron needed to evolve his role, or at least he felt he needed to be more of a dominant role. But that supporting cast really, really struggled. Like there was just there was a need to do more. And so you had to get rid of the five centers, none of which were very effective. You had Eric Dampier, uh, Zadrunas Ogaskas. You had, uh, you know, Joel Anthony, uh, Jamal McGlure, Jawan Howard. You had all these big bodies, none of which really made much of a difference. And in exchange, you really wound up just needing to get Chris Bosh to become the, the more complete player and to have him become a, a floor spacing five, which is you know how Miami was able to achieve their success later on. But let's say they win the finals in 2011. Do they go into the following season with the same kind of attitude about retooling? Do they just continue to build around LeBron or they say, oh yeah, it was good enough in 2011. Maybe we don't need to do anything differently. So I think that's a big question there because you know Shane's decision to come to Miami was based on the fact that Miami lost, that he saw that there was a need for him and his talents and his role. And that's why it was much more of an attractive option because if not, San Antonio was there waiting in the wings and Shane goes to San Antonio and they become, I think, a championship contender just because Battier knows how to win and he knows how to adapt he knows how to thrive and he knows how to become the perfect role player and i think i think complimenting Kawhi leonard a young Kawhi leonard tim duncan tony parker and manu ginobili the spurs become arguably one of the better teams in the league and they already were even without Battier's talents now they wind up adding boris diaw who wants to becoming a versatile swiss knife on offense uh, but maybe with Batty there, there in 2011, maybe they become a, an instantaneous contender and they're actually able to to win the title in 2012. Maybe they get past that young core in Oklahoma City. But it changes things so much. So you're looking at LeBron all of a sudden maybe becoming a little bit more flexible in his role in 2011. They wind up winning the finals. And then from a, a team-building perspective, maybe Miami just does things differently. Maybe they just don't ever see the need to kind of retool around the big three. Maybe they're willing to say, you know what, LeBron can be a better player. Dwayne is our player. Maybe they're already willing to to consider moving on from Chris Bosh. I don't see why they would, but maybe they might be willing to kind of make a change and, and add more players rather than just one player in Chris Bosh. Maybe they can get two big name free agents or, or, or you know pull off a trade for two quality players and they move Chris's high salary. It's a, an interesting perspective there, and I, I'm not sure that there are any clear answers, but I just thought it was worth bringing up, you know, one of the biggest qu- questions, I think, for LeBron was, you know, his ability to win a championship before he joined the Miami Heat, and then for that first year there, they weren't able to win, and I think a lot of the country was really happy about that because there was so much anger, so much vitriol directed at LeBron for the decision and for leaving and for jilting all these other teams. But if he goes on to win that championship in the first team, that kind of provides more justification for his decision. Uh, you know, he winds up being beating a, a quality veteran in Dirk Nowitzki and, of course, another one in Jason Kidd. But I think it, it 
the whole country kind of says, well, you know what, at least there may, you know, maybe his decision made a lot of sense because he was able to go and compete for a championship right away. And I also think that it also gives people a lot more fear because then all of a sudden you have, you know, his, his proclamation of not just three, not four, not five titles. And that becomes much more realistic. And maybe, maybe if he's able to win in 2011 and then somehow they're still able to continuously retool their roster there, Maybe then he stays in 2012. They win another title over Oklahoma City. Maybe after the lockout. Maybe they win another one in 2013. But then they have their three-peat there. And then he's able to do something in 2014 that not even Michael Jordan was able to do, which is to win four straight. And maybe he comes back in 2014 with a little bit more of an edge, a little bit more focus. Not necessarily looking ahead to possibly join the Cleveland Cavaliers in 2014. Maybe they win that championship in 2014 and so on. Maybe he just decides to stay in 2014. He does not go back to the Cleveland Cavaliers until later on in his career. It's it's one of those strange what ifs there because so much of it depends on on him. He is the the, the decision making pro, you know person here where he, he could have been the factor in the finals in 2011 and if he had just played to his potential the franchise his personal history all that changes dramatically and i just we're never going to get those answers because unfortunately he did wind up struggling it worked out well for miami and that they wound up winning two consecutive championships afterwards but it could have been very very differently maybe even better not just for the heat but also for lebron james career individually i'll get into whether or not he could have just stayed in 2014 what that would have meant for the franchise you're listening to locked on heat With everything that's going on in our lives, it's still hard to find the time to sit down to read and learn more. When you don't have free time, you can't read or you can't work on personal development. But there's an incredible app that helps solve this problem, and I highly recommend it. It's called Blinkist. I've explained it to you before, but it's really unique. It works on your phone, your tablet, your web browser, and it takes the best key takeaways, the need-to-know information from thousands of nonfiction books, and condenses them down to just 15 minutes that you can read or listen to. Successful people, business leaders are well known for reading a lot of books. Blinkist is made for busy people like you who want to get the main points of a book quickly so you can start using that information right away. And with its audio feature, Blinkist makes it easy to finish a book while you're commuting to work, while you're at the gym or wherever you're able to work out nowadays. Anytime you are able to just plug in your earphones, you're able to listen to a book condensed to the most important information that you need in order to help your personal development. 12 million people are using Blinkist right now as a massive and growing library from self-help, business, communication skills, relationships, history, so many different titles and subjects and genres to choose from. You're, you're bound to find something that fits what you need. Now, I use Blinkist because, again, I don't have much time with a toddler around. I just find it very difficult. And sometimes I just want to listen to the quick boil down points from a book that I'm curious about. And with Blinkist, it's just easy to use and it's so useful and it's so good for me to help and continue to grow and change. With Blinkist, you get unlimited access to read or listen to a massive library of condensed nonfiction books, all the books you want, and now all for one low price. For a limited time, Blinkist has a special offer just for our audience. Go to Blinkist.com NBA. Try it free for seven days and save 25% off your new subscription. That's Blinkist, B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T dot com slash NBA to start your free seven-day trial. You'll save 25% off, but only when you sign up at Blinkist.com NBA. Remember to listen to subscribe, 
to new and archived episodes of Locked on Heat on Himalaya, as well as on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. If you're in iTunes, please leave a rating and review, especially if it's a good one. Perhaps the worst question that uh, I'm answering here regarding some of the what-ifs in franchise history, because uh, 2014, as I've explained before, was probably the last time that I was as emotionally invested in the Heat and its roster construction. Uh, it, the two, the Big Three era was such an emotional one. Even re-watching the decision and, and watching LeBron announce that he was coming to Miami, I couldn't help but get goosebumps. I remember his, his decision. I remember watching that and, and pacing. Uh, we had been hearing for days that he was leaning towards signing with Miami, but then we saw some tweets from Greg Cody of the Miami Herald that they were pulling a one-page ad welcoming LeBron. There was so much going on, so much confusion. And again, five other suitors, all of which were viable options. And he could have chosen any one of them. And, and so you're, you're, you find out that Dwayne and Chris Bosh are re-signing in Miami, so at least there's that. But you, you get greedy, and you want LeBron to sign there too. And so you're watching that special. And for all the hate that was directed at him stupidly, that special was much watch, must-watch television. If you cared about the NBA and you cared about NBA free agency, you were watching the decision. I can understand why people in Cleveland were so upset. I can understand why people in New York and Chicago were upset. A little less so, because it's not like they had LeBron there in the first place. Maybe they expected to get him, but they were wrong. Either way, he announced the decision to come to Miami, and that <laughs> still, to this day, gets me emotional. Like It's hard to kind of separate myself from that. Likewise, the summer of 2014, as bad as that year was, I really thought that LeBron would come back to Miami. I, I, I did not understand what his motivation was. And that was my own fault. You kind of, when it comes to these decision-making processes for NBA players, as fans, you wind up putting your own emotions into their thought, thought process. You, you know, what, what is it that they find important? Well, generally, you wind up thinking it's what you find important. I'll never forget covering the Oklahoma City Thunder a few years ago when the decision for, you know, Kevin Durant was coming into play and not being in the least bit surprised when he left the Thunder and uh, Thunder fans thinking 100% that they were going to be able to re-sign him because he was the son of Oklahoma City, because he had done so much for the community, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. In 2014, I felt the same way about LeBron. I really thought he was going to stay in Miami. I thought, you know what, it was a bad year. You'll get him next time. Somehow Pat is going to do something to this roster. They're going to make changes. They're going to get Dwayne back to 100%. They're going to retool. Somehow it's going to work out. Unfortunately, we see the story from Lee Jenkins. I will never forget the tweet uh, coming up on my feed because I was refreshing almost every five seconds, wondering what was going to happen. As much as a lot of you probably were, you know, thinking about the the Cleveland Cavaliers color scheme being added to his own personal website, hearing from barbers and, and pastry chefs and all sorts of people from the Cleveland area. He was coming back to Cleveland, etc. There were so many other teams that were in the mix in 2014, just like they were in 2010, but it came down basically to either Miami or Cleveland. And unfortunately, he chose the Cleveland Cavaliers. But what if he had chosen to come back to Miami? Well, as I said, 2013-14, we kind of forget how bad a year that was. And, I, and it's something that, that Shane brought up, but it's something I thought about even before my conversation with Battier, which is just that that team was just it was held together by nothing, like scotch tape and, and gum. It was 
falling apart. You had so much media scrutiny over the previous three years. And then you had Dwayne's knees falling apart a little bit. You had, you know, Chris's role evolving. You had a supporting cast just not stepping up. Shane Battier mentioned that he couldn't play as well as he used to. What are you getting out of Ray Allen? Are you really going to continue to focus on Mario Chalmers and Chris Anderson? He was already getting older. Like, you just realized that you were already relying too much on LeBron James. I'll never forget writing that I already saw LeBron potentially leaving Miami later that summer, that he just seemed a little bit removed. And the reality was that he that he did feel that way. It was just, it was a tough emotional year for everybody. So somehow, let's say that he has that kind of emotional commitment and connection to Miami, and he says, despite the difficulties of this past season, I'm committed to staying here. I want this team to be able to compete for five, six, seven championships. That's a huge question, and I don't know that it's realistic, too. I I think you look at that roster the way it was, and with Wayne's knees being a big question moving forward, and and I don't know that LeBron can afford to make that decision. Like, you've already gone to the finals four straight years. He would wind up going to the finals four more straight years with Cleveland, but that was a different retool roster where he was still at his peak – uh, where he was able to get you know, a young player in Kyrie Irving, another young player, a younger player, at least in Kevin Love, who still hadn't achieved championship success. Once you win that title, yes, you want to go back to feel that joy again, but it gets harder and harder to muster the same kind of energy. You need that kind of hunger. I mean, you look at the, the supporting cast for the Cleveland Cavaliers now. They won their championship in 2016, and already it was like, well, what else do we have to accomplish? Like for Kevin Love, like he's getting paid. There's no need for him to push himself. You still want a player who hasn't tasted it, which is what makes Jimmy Butler such a, a, an interesting focal point for this team or for Bam and Abayo, guys that have never tasted championship success. Oh, the only one who really has is uh, Udonis Haslam and Andre Iguodala. Uh, everybody else in that roster still needs to know what that's like to win a championship at the highest level. And so it makes them ar- uh, you know, arguably much more hungry. And I think that's the the key there is, is when you're looking at what would have happened if LeBron had stayed in 2014 is that – Pat Riley would have had to make some tough decisions. Maybe uh, not necessarily twa- trade Dwayne Wade, but play maybe play hardball there. If you've got LeBron locked up and he's committed and he takes the option on his contract, you kind of work with him and you say, you know what, we're shifting. Maybe we're shifting from Dwayne Wade uh, and, and moving on there because we're not sure what's going to happen with his health and, and uh, his knees moving forward. And maybe it's time for us to move on. Maybe after Dwayne, you know, chooses to opt out of his contract that same summer maybe they don't re-sign him maybe with LeBron's blessing they're able to move on and and sign somebody else in 2014 is there another free agent in 2014 uh, that you're able to acquire maybe they do a sign-in trade with Dwayne and send him to Minnesota or they pull off a three-team trade maybe think about this what if they send Dwayne to Chicago in 2014 and then send Jimmy Butler to Minnesota in a sign and trade and then attract Kevin Love back to Miami. Maybe they're able to build that roster there with Kevin Love and maybe Chris Bosh and LeBron James at the 3-4-5. That would have been an interesting lineup there. And who knows who you need to add as far as your one and two, your, your backcourt there. Maybe you're able to add some other player. So many different options. But I think that's the whole thing. We don't know how the roster would have been constructed. But if you've got LeBron's commitment then you're willing to make other decisions that you're you're you know didn't have to make in reality. Do you trade away Chris Bosh? Probably not, because at least he's still healthy. You don't know about what's going on regarding his kidney issues. Uh, that doesn't wind up manifesting for a few months. But 
he's the future of the NBA in that he is young, younger than Dwayne at least. Uh, he's a floor spacing five who continues to evolve and grow. He's a guy who can score as much. Dwayne is the biggest question mark. And so that's a tough, tough decision there for, for the Pat Riley and the Heat front office to make is now you have LeBron James at the peak of his powers, still in his prime, and he is your focal point moving forward. He is your superstar. What do you do with Dwayne? And maybe you you kind of decide to move on from him. And I, I think, look, we assume now with Dwayne recently retiring and his three-day retirement ceremony and everything else that everything's been swept under the rug and it's been nothing but a beautiful relationship between him and Pat in the front office. <laughs> That's hardly the case. I still think that there is some animosity there on different, different levels. But Pat Riley was willing to move on from Dwayne in 2016. I don't see why he wouldn't have been able to make that decision in 2014 if LeBron was staying there. So that's, I think, ultimately what would have happened is that you would have retooled the roster around LeBron and then you would have still tried to compete for titles as much as possible. And uh, that probably means cutting ties with Dwayne Wade a little bit earlier than you would have and, and maybe adding somebody else. Look, Dwayne was great in 2014-15. Maybe you wound up pulling off a trade for Goran Dragic. Maybe you wound up doing something. Who knows? Lots of different options, and and none of them quite clear because, of course, you wind up you know losing LeBron in 2014. But for Pat Riley, the ultimate goal still is and always will be winning a championship. And if you've got LeBron James, he makes that path much more easy than an older Dwayne Wade who just missed most of the season previously because of a maintenance program. It's a tough decision, but it's one that Riley's made before, and I'm sure that he's willing to make it again. So if if they're able to keep LeBron James in 2014, you're looking at a different version of the Heat, one led by LeBron, possibly Chris Bosh, but probably no Dwayne Wade there in 2014. And that's with LeBron's blessing, uh, because his goal is to ultimately win championships and to continue to win championships, to challenge Michael Jordan for his six rings, whether that happens or not in Miami, uh, that remains to be seen. But, uh, you know, it's a question that will never get answered because, unfortunately, he wind up joining the Cavaliers uh, and having his own championship success. But Miami has since moved on. They were able to repair their relationship with Dwayne. They were able to attract Jimmy Butler because of Dwayne going to Chicago in 2016. And so dominoes fall into place and things wind up working out very differently. And now you have a team in Miami that's contending for a championship Maybe this year, maybe the next, who knows? Special thanks go out to Built Bar and Blinkist for supporting today's show. Make sure to check out Rejecting the Screen with Noah Kozlov and Adam Sanko, as well as Chad Ford's Big Draft Board, now both on the Locked On Podcast Network. That's it for today. You can connect with me on Twitter using the hashtag AskLLHeat or email me at LockedOnHeat at gmail.com. I'm David Rommel signing off, and thank you as always for your support. Yeah! Wrap it up, dude. Um.